People are able freely to listen to each other without prejudice and without trying to influence each other. Each has to be interested primarily in truth and coherence, so that he is ready to drop his old ideas and intentions and be ready to go on to something different when this is called for. If, however, two people merely want to convey certain ideas or points of view to each other, as if these were items of information, then they must inevitably fail to meet. For each will hear the other through the screen of his own thoughts, which he tends to maintain and defend, regardless of whether or not they are true or coherent. The result will of course be just the sort of confusion that leads to the insoluble problem of communication which has been pointed out and discussed earlier. Evidently, communication in the sense just described is necessary in all aspects of life. Thus, if people are to cooperate, that is, literally to work together, they have to be able to create something in common, something that takes shape in their mutual discussions and actions, rather than something that is conveyed from one person who acts as an authority to the others who act as passive instruments of this authority. Even in relationships with inanimate objects and with nature in general, something very like communication is involved. Consider, for example, the work of an artist. Can it properly be said that the artist is expressing himself, that is, literally pushing outward something that is already formed inside of him? Such a description is not in fact generally accurate or adequate. Rather, what usually happens is that the first thing the artist does is only similar in certain ways to what he may have in mind. As in a conversation between two people, he sees the similarity and the difference, and from this perception something further emerges in his next action. Thus, something new is continually created that is common to the artist and the material on which he is working. The scientist is engaged in a similar dialogue with nature, as well as with his fellow human beings. Thus, when a scientist has an idea, this is tested by observation. When it is found, as generally happens, that what is observed is only similar to what he had in mind and not identical, then from a consideration of the similarities and the differences he gets a new idea which is in turn tested. And so it goes, with the continual emergence of something new that is common to the thought of scientists and what is observed in nature. This extends onward into practical activities, which lead to the creation of new structures that are common to man and to the overall environment in which he lives. It is clear that if we are to live in harmony with ourselves and with nature, we need to be able to communicate freely in a creative movement in which no one permanently holds to or otherwise defends his own ideas. Why, then, is it so difficult, actually, to bring about such communication? This is a very complex and subtle question, but it may perhaps be said that when one comes to do something, and not merely to talk about it or think about it, one tends to believe that one already is listening to the other person in a proper way. It seems then that the main trouble is that the other person is the one who is prejudiced and not listening. After all, it is easy for each one of us to see that other people are blocked about certain questions, so that without being aware of it, they are avoiding the confrontation of contradictions in certain ideas that may be extremely dear to them. The very nature of such a block is, however, that it is a kind of insensitivity or anesthesia about one's own contradictions. Evidently, then, what is crucial is to be aware of the nature of one's own blocks.
If one is alert and attentive, he can see, for example, that whenever certain questions arise, there are fleeting sensations of fear, which push him away from consideration of these questions, and of pleasure, which attract his thoughts and cause them to be occupied with other questions, so one is able to keep away from whatever it is that he thinks may disturb him, and as a result he can be subtly defending his own ideas when he supposes that he is really listening to what other people have to say. When we come together to talk or otherwise to act in common, can each one of us be aware of the subtle fear and pleasure sensations that block his ability to listen freely? Without this awareness, the injunction to listen to the whole of what is said will have little meaning. But if each one of us can give full attention to what is actually blocking communication, while he is also attending properly to the content of what is communicated, then we may be able...